afternoon. This is Richard Shu, host of Shu Untied, and today I'm very pleased and honored to have with me a, a, a repeat guest, actually, no less, uh, Chris Yeh, who's author of the best-selling book Blitzscaling, as well as a serial entrepreneur. Uh, Chris, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me back, Richard. I have to admit, yours was one of the first podcasts I ever went on, and while I've <laughs> gone on many since then. I still remember your, my first time with you. <laughs> well, I'm pleased that you would accept my invitation to come back. Oh, of course. Uh, <laughs> delighted to be here. So, Chris, today I want to talk to you about something very specific, and that is the topic of remote leadership. And um, my thesis on this topic is, is that the remote working is something that's here to stay and will become more part of our workforce as even after the, this virus goes and the pandemic passes. And as a result of that, remote leadership is going to be more important than it was in the past, even though obviously we had leaders that did that remotely. But I think it requires a different set of skills. It requires and it will be a skill set that will be more heavily sought after. So let me start by asking you, you know, what are the what do you think is most important in trying to be a remote leader, for example? Well, I think that a lot of leaders are getting a crash course in remote leadership right now <laughs> thanks to the COVID-19 pandemic. We are yeah, right. recording this on April 20th where the pandemic is now spread around the world. It would be fascinating for future generations to come back and listen to this podcast and see where we were. Right. But I think that leaders are getting a crash course in remote leadership. And the very first thing they're realizing is that one of the key things they need to do is not just the organizational, the management side of it, but also the emotional side. Mm -hmm. So during this pandemic, one of the things that I've been telling people is that as a leader, you have to be not just the commander in chief, but also the comforter in chief, mm -hmm. right? I feel like Historically, when people were gathered together in on-premise offices, a lot of the emotional work just happens implicitly without you having to do much extra thinking about it. It's just because human beings gathered together and that's been happening, oh, I don't know, for millions of years, ever since we <laughs> evolved as a species. Right. And so those dynamics occur, and again, you can improve them with leadership, but you don't actually have to generate from scratch a replacement for them at least until now. Mm. And now what we find is that when people go and they work remotely, they're actually missing all these things that they probably really didn't think about being there when they were in a physical office, mm. but are actually really important. One thing is the emotional side of it. Mm. You know, how do you as a leader convey your emotions to the other people in the organization when they're not reading your body language, when they're not sort of getting your vibe in mm. person? Mm. The other element of it is that you know people are missing what I call the micro-social interactions mm. that occur in an office. Yes. So when you're in an office and you go up and you go to the bathroom or you go to the kitchen, you run into someone, you chat for like 30 seconds and then you keep going. And that chat didn't seem very important to you. Right. But when you add up all the different times that would happen during the day, that is actually a key part of the connective tissue of the organization. And finding some way to replace that in the remote management world is pretty important. Mm -hmm. I actually wrote a blog post on my blog, which you can find at chrisyea.com along with everything else. But I actually wrote a blog post about how I participated in a two and a half hour meeting on Zoom, mm -hmm. something I'm sure you've had to do a lot of recently, Richard. Mm -hmm. and, but it was a two and a half hour meeting where I actually left the meeting feeling great. I was really excited and 
part of it was the people who were as part of the meeting, but part of it was as part of the meeting, and it turns out, I thought it was accidental, but it was actually carefully designed. Right. At one point, they said, oh, we have to review something. Take five minutes to catch up with someone. We're going to put you into a breakout room with them. Mm-hmm. And so having like a five-minute period where you're just catching up with someone, and someone who you know already and have spent time with before, without any specific work to do, that's something I realized only afterwards how much I'd missed. Yeah, right. Right. In, in these Zoom calls, we're always on message, on target, on task, but that's not how real life works, at least in, in the old offices we used to go to in the before times. Yeah. And so as a leader, you have to find ways to engineer and substitute in virtual versions of those micro interactions. Well, that's a really good point, and that's a very good example. And I've long talked about, uh, well, at least since I started this podcast, um, the the micro-interactions, the importance of that, because basically when you're working remotely, uh, basically the you know the threshold for communication becomes a lot higher because now you have to call somebody or even email someone whereas you know when you interact them at a micro level like you're saying you know there's the, the barrier to doing it is just so low virtually zero and so it happens a lot more exactly and so part of it is you now have to become an experienced designer as yeah, a right. CEO as a leader and again, maybe you can get help from your chief people officer or chief human resources officer mm-hmm. or from the rest of the executive team. Mm-hmm. But you have to start thinking of yourself not just as a leader, not just as someone who is helping set the strategy, but actually as the experience designer, designing the employee experience of being part of the company. That's really interesting. Let, let me go back to your first point uh, about you know being the emotional cheerleader uh, and and how difficult that is when you can't do that in person, like you're saying, whereas you can feel that. How do you do that remotely? I mean, what what are your thoughts on that? Well, there are two different elements of it. One is one on one, and one is scalable. Mm-hmm. And on the one on one side, I think that you can still use many of the same tools you have in the past. Mm-hmm. Here, I would actually say that when it comes to a one-on-one comforting or conveyance of emotion, Mm. I actually prefer just the phone call to Mm. the Zoom call. Hmm. And that may seem strange to people. Like, wait, you know, if you have a Zoom call, you can read the body language. You can do all these different things. And I'm like, yes, but to me, there's something about being able to just concentrate wholly and completely on what the person is doing. And in a telephone call, and especially a telephone call, like I'll actually go for a call or even recording something like this, I'll close my eyes hmm. so that the entire world is just your voice and my voice. Yeah, yeah. And I really feel like you can concentrate more, whereas if you have the Zoom call, you're both staring at the Zoom call, mm-hmm. but you're also trying to figure out, okay, where's the camera? Because otherwise my eye's looking off to the side. And mm-hmm. meanwhile, you're still taking in all the rest of the surroundings because so the Zoom call is only a part of the field of vision. Mm-hmm. And I just like the idea of getting on a phone call and having people talk you know, with their eyes closed or really concentrating and really just being completely present. And I think it's more difficult to do that in a Zoom call than it is Mm. in a telephone call. Mm. Interesting. What about the scaling piece of it? Ah, I was wondering if you're going to remember that. Of course you did. (laughs) So the scaling piece of it is this. You can't do that, which I just described, Mm. at scale. Mm -hmm. How many one-on-one, deep, intense phone calls can you have? You just don't have the time for all of those. And so here, what I think is really interesting is you as the leader need to start thinking 
like an influencer or an influence marketer. Mm. So mm. if you think about who in the world excels at figuring out scalable ways to convey emotion, to build emotional rapport mm. with other people. Mm. And historically, it hasn't been the leaders of companies. Mm -hmm. But the people who are really good at it are these Instagram influencers, are these people who are YouTubers and doing all these different things. So I actually think that one of the things that leaders will need to do in this new remote world is to study the people who've been at the best at this. Mm. I mean, I look at it and I say, well, what can we learn as a leader from Kim Kardashian? What can we learn from PewDiePie or Ninja or any of these other figures who I don't even really know but I've heard of? But guess what? These are the people who have figured out a way to emotionally connect with millions of people via a social media channel. And some of it is around the messaging. Some of it is around the combination of video. The, uh, podcasting is another great one. I've always been a big fan of podcasting. But I look at this and I say, you know, if we look at the consumer world, there are plenty of examples of people who have connected at scale emotionally. Hmm. And as a leader, you have to try to figure that out. And hmm. it's going to require slightly different skills. As you pointed out, uh, one of the great examples of someone, I don't know if you've ever read the, uh, the Richard Caro books about Lyndon Johnson, Master hmm. of the Senate, Passage of Power, so on and so forth. Hmm. I so in it... Lyndon Johnson is described by someone as, bar none, the best one-on-one -on -one salesperson that ever lived. Mm. And he had those skills. He would stand next to someone, put his shoulder around them, get in their face. He was able to persuade people one-on-one -on -one in a way that very few people have. Mm. But if you've ever listened to a Lyndon Johnson speech, it wasn't that compelling. Mm -hmm. He wasn't a great order. He was no JFK. He was right. no Abraham Lincoln. He was only a, uh, decent at that. Mm -hmm. And so that was one of the reasons why he, while he, he accomplished amazing things as president, many people felt like the peak of his power was when he's in the Senate, in this small group of 100 people where everything was resolved with one-on-one -on -one relationships and meetings. Mm -hmm. Now, as a CEO, you may have been more of a Lyndon Johnson before, mm -hmm. but now the tools that you have at your disposal are the tools of mass communication. You have to think of yourselves more as a JFK from an oratorical standpoint, not the personal habit standpoint. <laughs> well, let's talk about one. What, let's talk about charisma, which I mean, we generally like to think of our leaders uh, as the, being a generally important quality in our leaders. Do you think in remote leadership that's even more important or less important? I mean, I could see it cutting both ways. I think it depends on the type of charisma. Mm. So as I mentioned, LBJ had charisma. Mm -hmm. He had a one-on-one -on -one charisma. Mm -hmm. And uh, an interesting example, let's contrast two recent presidents. Mm -hmm. Not the current one, but the two prior ones. Mm -hmm. So we have Barack Obama, generally acknowledged as one of the great orators in presidential history. Mm -hmm. I think it's difficult to call him number one because he's competing with some pretty serious competition, right. but definitely very, up, very much up there. And then before him, we had uh, George W. Bush, whom very few people would say was a great orator. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But on contrast, what you would hear is that people who would talk about Barack Obama one-on-one -on -one would say, you know, he would seem a bit distant and professorial, mm -hmm. whereas George W. Bush is well-known as this person who would have this innate personal charisma, get people to feel comfortable. You'd want to have a beer with him. Mm -hmm. I don't drink beer, but I understand what they're saying. And this has been confirmed to me. I've had friends 
who actually went to school with George W. Bush and who did not share his politics, but who said, yeah, you know, the guy had this in-person charisma. Mm -hmm. So I think we should distinguish between the ability to remarkably focus one's attention on someone, to read them in a one-on-one -on -one setting, mm -hmm. to have that magical back and forth, almost instantaneous ping-ponging of emotions and reactions mm -hmm versus the kind of mass scalable charisma that comes from being able to project a vision, to be able to speak in a way, to have the, the right sort of ability to use the voice as an instrument mm -hmm. to persuade. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that, you know, again, we saw a great example of this in the recent movie, The Darkest Hour, where there's a great performance by Gary Oldman as Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill, not necessarily a guy who... Uh, was well belo was beloved one on one, especially among his fellow uh, members of parliament, but who had a remarkable ability to, as they say in the book, marshal the English language and send it into battle. What about another characteristic that I want to get your thoughts on is the whole extrovert introvert quality and how that plays in. I mean, mm -hmm. again, normally with traditional CEOs, you tend to think of them as be, better being extroverts, although we've obviously had a, a number of very, very successful introverts. Do you see that? How do you see that cutting in the remote world? So I think there, I could see it going both ways, but I think ultimately it makes it more challenging to be an introvert than before. And the reason is, the bottom line, the, the, the positive for introverts is that I think that a lot of introverts are feeling a sense of relief because of this pandemic. Right. Because right. a lot of introversion is around, again, it's not about social skills. It's about whether or not dealing with other people makes you feel energized or fatigued, whether yep, you exactly. gain energy or lose yep. energy. Yep, yep. And I've spoken with a number of introverts. Now, part of it is there may be fewer interactions, but it also feels like, again, just as there are many people who are introverts uh, in real life, but who are quite uh, outspoken on the internet, mm -hmm. that there's something very different about in-person interaction than almost any of these other things. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, I would feel like an introvert would have an advantage, or at least the penalty for being an introvert would not be as large. Right. But on the other hand, we've just described the need to communicate broadly, mm -hmm. and how in the absence of that sort of physical connection, you have to actually build even more of the relationship mm -hmm. through the words, through the performance, through the oratory. And I'm not entirely certain if being introverted is helpful for doing that. It may not be as much of a penalty, but it, you still have to have that ability to use your voice as an instrument to be able to tell compelling stories. And if you weren't able to do that before the pandemic, you probably aren't going to be able to do it now. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, let me ask you, let me shift to also a little bit. Let's talk about communication, because obviously communication now becomes super important because there's only you, you, you can't do it in person. Um, you as a writer, prolific writer, I would think you would think that being able to clearly communicate is now even more important because there's sort of a less margin of safety where you can sort of wing it, if you will, with the way you can when you talk to somebody in person. Yes, I completely agree with that. Uh, the only counter to that is in this particular emergency, and, and again, this you probably aren't going to run into as much in your day-to-day -day work life, but obviously we this emergency has been so politicized that 
and there are so many swirling uh, facts and quasi-facts and non-facts, masquerading as facts, as facts going around, that communication is very challenging uh, in this environment. But within your company, it may not be so. Well, let me let me ask you to step back a little bit and talk about um, I mean, remote leadership versus in-person leadership. Do you think you can really be just as effective or very close to it? Or do you think there will always remain some material or appreciable gap between the two that, you know, remote leadership will just never be able to close, if you will? So I think that if you look at the individual level, it will always be the case that there is an additional level of emotional resonance and connection that you can achieve face-to-face that you can't achieve remotely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. However, it is entirely possible that if you take a step back and you say, because of the pandemic, I am now forced to focus on these more scalable forms of leadership, it is entirely possible that you could look at an organization pre and post pandemic and say, you know what, post pandemic or during this period of remote leadership, uh, there is actually an overall increase mm-hmm. in the level of engagement mm-hmm. because more of the energy is being poured into the scalable elements of the leadership as opposed to the one on one elements. Because as you know, most leaders probably got to where they were partially by being really good in those one-on-one interactions. And when you have a big hammer, everything looks like a nail. And it's very tempting to say, look, my main job is to relate to these members of the senior management team and they'll take care of relating to everyone else. Whereas in this area of remote leadership, you as the ultimate leader now are developing more of a direct relationship with everyone in the organization. Do you think this earlier comment that you made about sort of social engineering or engineering social experiences, social interactions, that's going to become like a whole little discipline unto itself where somebody at a company, a dedicated person, that's like their full-time job? What do you think about that? I think it should be. <laughs> right. I think that, you know, if the past is any guide, it probably won't be for many organizations. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it took criminally a long time for people to even think about the employee experience. And even now, it's more honored in word than in deed. Mm -hmm. But I think that if you do decide to dedicate resources to engineering that employee experience in this remote uh, working era, I think it will deliver great returns. Mm -hmm. What about you personally? Do you find remote working totally doable, very workable, or do you find it really frustrating not to be able to be physically in touch with your colleagues? So I am very far on the extroverted end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. It is absolutely the case that I gain energy from seeing people. Mm -hmm. And I prefer face-to-face interaction over just about anything else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But because of the fact that I have you know, traveled and done all these different things, I have always had to do a lot of remote work. Mm -hmm. And this can be reflected if you look at the phone bill that I get every month. I mean, going all the way back, because of the fact that, you know, once upon a time, we didn't really worry about minutes, but then once we had had long distance, all these things that us old guys remember. Mm -hmm. But for the past, well, I don't know, uh, past two decades or so, I probably averaged two to 3,000 minutes a month on the phone. Mm-hmm. 
And that's a lot because there are only 30 days in the month. So it's basically an hour or two on the phone every day. And so I've gotten very used to dealing with people remotely uh, because of that. So to me, I would say it's suboptimal for me not to have the ability to see people face to face. And I miss it. And I will be looking forward to the day. I mean, I, there may be a, a small minority of people who are like, no, 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 let's have this continue. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the day when we go back to normal. Mm-hmm. But uh, it hasn't uh, crippled me. It hasn't been this huge thing that's caused like a huge fallout for me. It is something where I'm like, okay, I'm adjusting, I'm adapting, I'm managing. But I very much would like to go back to the old days. Well, Chris, I really appreciate your taking the time and talking with me again. I hope that if I do invite you again for a third time, we can really then do it in person. Absolutely. Well, you know, there's now more reason than ever for me to say yes, because <laughs> I am now doing my own podcast. So oh. if you go to chrisye.com, you can actually learn all sorts of good things about me. You can learn about blitzscaling. You can learn about my last book, The Alliance. Uh, you can go find my podcast by clicking on the podcast link. And you, su- you can subscribe to my email list by clicking on the subscribe link. So everything is right there at chrisye.com, C-H-R-I-S-Y-E-H.com. How's that for a plug? Excellent. The best plug I've ever had from a guest. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, Chris. This is Richard Chu and Chris Ye. My pleasure. And I'm looking forward to our next broadcast together.